For some reason, our batteries are running out way too fast. We might have to replace this little machine, but until we know we have to, we're going to just keep putting batteries in, I guess. Turn, if you will, please, to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to deal with a situation today, with a subject today, that a lot of preachers don't like to preach. I can't politic. I really can't. I want you to think a lot of me, but I have to be obedient to God, and a lot of stuff that He wants us to know about is not a subject that everybody wants to know about. But we got something today coming from the sixth chapter of Ephesians. It has to do with where we are. I try to convince you guys every day that I'm in front of you that we're in a war. It happens all day long, every day. And I want to remind you, this is the bad news, but it's the truth. The world is out to get us. It's out to get you, and it's out to get me. And James says, the brother of Jesus, says that if we get too friendly with the world, we'll become an enemy to God. So we've got to keep in our minds that the world is not our friend, but yet we have to live in it. Not only that, we have to live in this world with all the upside-down things that are going on in such a way that God can pat us on the shoulder and say, well done. In a lot of days, that's pretty much of a task. The title of this today is simply to stand, S-T-A-N-D, to stand, and what that means. In the sixth chapter of Ephesians, in verse 10, Paul says, finally. So he's winding up with everything he's put in this letter to the church at Ephesus. He said, finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord. And I want to show you something about that scripture that's a little bit different. That phrase, in the Lord, is a place. It's a place to be. And we need to understand that. And the question comes up, well then, am I in my place this morning? That means I'm living with Jesus in my heart and being corrected by Jesus, being improved by Jesus, and accepting all of that. Even being scolded by the Holy Spirit. 
it's got that job too. When we don't do exactly like Jesus wants us to do. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Another time I'm going to get an opportunity to share with you just how much power you have simply because Jesus chose you, God chose you, and he put the most powerful thing on the universe inside of each one of us. It's called the Holy Spirit. Because of that, we have more power than anybody around us. Now I said we're in a war, and we are. And Satan is the captain of the enemy. But I want to remind you of something that I was reminded of when a Vietnam veteran used to sit here by Miss Becky, Mr. Clecker. He used to say that you've got to remember that Satan at one time was the second smartest person in the world. Before he was kicked out of heaven, he was God's right-hand man. How in the world a third of the angels that Jesus created would think that if we get with him, Lucifer, he's liable to turn into what God is and we'll be really, really in a good place. And they all got kicked out of heaven. They fell like lightning, Jesus said. They came out of there pretty quick then if they came out of heaven like lightning does. Put on, verse 11, the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now I made a study. I looked up the word flee. We're to flee fornication. We're to flee idolatry. We're to flee this. We're to flee temptation. We're to turn and run from everything except Satan himself. And we're to stand when we realize he's around. Dig in. Plant our feet down and stay there. Not run. You don't run from Satan. You run from temptation. You stand against the wiles of the devil. Miss Vestal Goodman used to say, this scripture said to her that when you've done all you can do to stand, just stand there. And that's essentially what it means. Don't go anywhere. When you sense the presence of Satan, plant your feet and stay there. I was reminded years and years ago in my younger days, a fellow made the comment, that there are times when you're in the middle of a storm and you're like a sailor on a ship. There's no place to run when you're on a ship in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the ocean. And he said sometimes you just have to take a piece of rope and lash yourself to the mast and weather the storm. Fix it to where you can't run, no matter how afraid you get. 
And that's what we have to do sometimes. Because Satan and his presence is a terrible thing. If you've never been there, I'll tell you this. To be in the presence of someone who is possessed with a demon is a scary, scary place to be. And that's part of what I want to tell you. Because it says in the next verse, chapter uh, verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I've read that a thousand times. And most of the time I pass over it because I thought that it said, yes, we're really actually warring against the devil. But God showed me a whole new twist of this verse in the last two weeks. Something I didn't realize before. It's a very, very important verse. And I'm going to start out by asking you this question. Can you remember the last time you got into it with another person? Time's up. You remember it? Might have been somebody in your family. Might have been one of your parents. Might have been one of your kids. When you really got into it, maybe a shouting match. Somebody was doing something that you didn't want them to do. And you reacted to that. Please understand me. If you can remember that squabble, that fuss, that debate, when people get loud and they shout at each other and they say a lot of things they don't mean, you remember being there? God says through Paul in this verse right here, you weren't fighting that person. Did you know that? Did you realize that the disagreement was not between you and that person? If you got in that kind of an argument, you were having a fight with Satan that was influencing that person to fight with you. That's what he's trying to say in this verse right here. We're not fighting flesh and blood. If I get in a disagreement with you, it could be a knockdown drag out. But I'm not really fighting you. I'm fighting Satan that is in you. You say, woo. But you see, we've learned before that if you're a Christian, Satan cannot get inside your mind. But he can, outside your mind, give you things to think about that will influence your actions. And essentially, what each one of us is doing is fighting Satan. That's the way he fights. He fights through people. You won't see him jump out in front of you with his traditional red suit, horns, 
and forked tail or whatever. That's not Satan. You can remember Terry Gibbs' song. She kind of described it closer to the Bible than most anything else. I've heard of Satan, but I never dreamed, the words in the song say, that he'd have blue eyes and blue jeans. Maybe some of you older ones remember that song. That's the way Satan's going to come to you. He's going to come to you in the form of somebody else, somebody maybe you know, maybe even a kinfolk, and he's going to give them an idea that you don't know what you're talking about, and they're going to rear up and fight against you. And that's what he's talking about right here. When we get in an argument with each other, please understand, you're actually not fighting that person. You're fighting Satan's influence on that person that probably started the fight to start with. Stand against the devil, it says. We don't fight against people, but the Satan who is in them and behind a lot of what they're saying. Satan's influence can give an unsaved person a great deal of power. In business, do you get in disagreements with people who are not Christian? Satan can control them in a heartbeat and make them say and do anything. And sometimes the saved folks, if they'll listen to him, will act almost like they're unsaved. So this whole thing about the war against Satan really boils down to this. It's about you and the unsaved people in your life, and in some cases, the saved people. Satan is out to get you any way he can. Please understand that. Put you in a situation to where you can't serve God, where you can't have a relationship with God. And it's so easy with most of us because you remember the start of this whole series is the two most important things that God ever said. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul. And the second commandment is to love your neighbors yourself. Can you imagine loving your neighbors yourself? Can you imagine treating other people like they're better than you? That's not easy to do. But I believe that's what Jesus is telling us. I'd like to show you something, a reason that Jesus, Paul is talking about this, and Jesus gave us an example of this in Matthew chapter 16, if you'll turn back there. Matthew chapter 16. Let me give you this setting. Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 is talking to his disciples. 
And for the first time, he starts telling them what's fixing to happen to him. In verse 21, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Jesus could look into the future. God can look into the future. We can't. We got to guess. But now let me tell you something. What Jesus was doing here was telling his disciples, the people closest to him on this earth, of what was going to happen to him. How did he know that? Because his father God had told him. So Jesus was telling his disciples, his closest friends, what God had told him was going to happen to him. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him. He took him aside, is that phrase. Peter took Jesus aside, away from the other disciples, and started rebuking him. Jumping all over. Now, is anybody surprised at Peter about that? I've already told you several times. Peter wasn't saved at that point. Peter, as Jesus' disciples, walking with Jesus, wasn't a born-again man. You will remember in just a few days when the 500 come to get Jesus the 500 of the Levites, the employees of the temple, under the, the, the authority of the high priest, they came to get Jesus in the garden that night to take him to be tried and to, and, and to put him on the cross. Peter, after Jesus had told him this, he's supposed to know it was coming. He just didn't know how. Peter whooped out a sword and cut a fellow's ear off. Now think for a minute, please. Put yourself in that place. You're there with Jesus and a few, a few of his disciples in a garden at night and 500 enemies of Jesus show up. Peter must have been some kind of a half an idiot or maybe a whole one to think that he's going to cut one fellow's head off, and that's what he intended to do. He missed and cut his ear off. And helped the situation in it. Peter had no idea after Jesus had explained to him what was going to happen. Peter didn't believe it. And he thought some kind of way that he could cut a fellow's ear off and it would help Jesus out. That's what his intentions were. And this is the same Peter who is saying to Jesus, look at what he said. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from me, Lord, this shall not happen unto you. This is not going to happen to you. And essentially what Peter doesn't realize, he's calling God a liar. 
Because God's the one that told Jesus this is what was going to happen. He's sharing with his friends what God told him. Peter had no idea that he was in this much trouble. He really didn't. So here come the words out of Peter's mouth. Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. We're not going to let this happen to you. Now how did Jesus respond to that? But he turned and said unto Peter, Jesus turned and and looked straight at Peter and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan. There's nobody there but Peter. And when he speaks at Peter, right there close, because Peter already took him aside, and he tells Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Why did he say that? Because he knew that what Peter just said came straight from Satan's mind. Peter was saying what Satan put in his heart to say. And Jesus explained it. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. He said, Peter, this is not a spiritual thing that you're trying to do here. This is a carnal thing. You thought this up in your head. This did not come from the Holy Spirit or from God. It came from you. You don't know any better. But Jesus gives the credit for saying this to Satan, not Peter. Do you see why I'm saying what he said? Over in Ephesians chapter 6, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. Jesus showed us that by saying, I'm not fighting with Peter. I know Peter doesn't have any sense to say that. That came straight from Satan. And Peter allowed Satan to put it in his head. Peter, Satan gives unsaved people, and I've got in parenthesis, and some saved that'll listen to it, things to say that don't come from heaven at all. And as a Christian, we're supposed to be limiting what we say out of our mouth because the scripture tells us that out of the mouth comes the excesses of the heart. What you say verbally comes from most people's hearts. So the thing is, if people got enough wisdom, they can listen intently to every word you say and find out what's on the inside of you. That's the reason you got to be so careful. What do they call it? Burting out? Saying before you think? Not using discretion? Just saying something? The Bible calls people that don't do that people with a trained tongue. 
they've trained their tongue not to say what they hadn't already thought about. Now let me ask you this. Can you remember of a time when you had an argument with somebody and actually Satan was standing behind you telling you what to say? I can. When as soon as I got out of the argument, I found out I was defending myself. Somebody was putting me down. My ego wouldn't take it. And I was arguing with them simply because they were opposed to me. One of the things that Jesus teaches in his word for people who are becoming more and more like him and are on their way to heaven is that they can take offensive talk from other people without blowing up. Can you do that? If somebody says something against you, can you take it without blowing up and showing yourself? What does he say in James? God resisteth the proud, giveth grace to the humble, be humble, therefore, before God, and he will exalt you in his time. He'll decide when somebody's going to brag on you and when somebody is giving you something that is very, very uncomplimentary. Can you stay humble? Or you raise up on your hind legs, as Mama said, and get on your high horse and go to fighting people because of what they said about you. you find that Jesus didn't do that. Satan will give people a lot of ideas. Has he ever given you one? He can't get in your mind. He can't make you think this way or that way. All he can do is create pictures in front of you to where you will look, take that view of what you're looking at and your mind takes it and thinks about something. He can do that. And I'm going to tell you something else. He might give people a lot of ideas on how you can be taken advantage of. We're in a war. And we're in a war with the world. And we're in a war not with each other, but Satan that is in each other. We need to realize that. <laughs> Let me explain a little something, just a little sidetrack here to explain something. When it talks about demons in the world, Satan's army. And there are at least 33 million of them. It uses terminology in Scripture to say that where they are and what they do is very, very organized. Satan's demons in this world have been placed where they are. They've some got more stripes than others have. Their leaders... They've got territories that they, that they operate in and they try to do every bit of damage they can within 
where they are and in their territory that they have assigned to them. So for that reason, I'll make this assumption. If there is demons who operate in Briarfield, Alabama, I've been here a little over 50 years. They've been knowing every single thing Joe Clark did for 50 years. They know what my weaknesses are. They know what my strengths are. They know what I fell for before. And they know what his chances are that I'll fall for again. They know, in other words, they know how to fight me. Now let me tell you something else. They're probably in communications with those demons that are in Montevallo. So they know how my daddy thought, what his weaknesses were, what my mama's weaknesses were, what my grandfather's on both sides were. It goes back to about 1908. So the demons within five miles of here, ten miles of here, know all of my folks just about. And when they come to fight me, somebody say, well, you know, he's pretty stout. Maybe you can't get the best of him. Oh, don't worry about that. I've been knowing his family for years. I know exactly what to, what to do to him to get him to show himself so he won't have a testimony around the people in his community. That's something you need to understand when you're fighting this war. Your DNA is known to these folks and they use it against you. So let me tell you, it comes down to this. If the world is opposed to you, and what did Jesus say? In this world you will have tribulation. It's against you. And Satan is going about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. His assistants are doing that too. And they've got general orders, anything you can do anyway to tear up this person's testimony before Jesus, you do it. And Satan says, I'll back you up. Now here's where it comes to the really interesting point, okay? Those politicians you see on your TV, it don't matter what party they're in, they're politicians. A man that goes to the trouble and raises the money to try to be a politician, something ain't right about him. Because he desires power. And that's what they're trying to get. It's usually not about money. Money is to try to get so they'll have power. They're trying to control you and control your vote. And that's the reason they talk so nice to you. They try to cover up a lie because they don't want you to find out what's really going on. But they're working to control your vote so they can control you. As soon as they get your vote and you put them in office, then they go to working to try to control you and everything else you do. Washington right now, it's the beatingest thing I've ever seen. I saw it here a few weeks ago. 
They are trying to find anybody they can that has a need so they can run fast enough to give them a check to cover that need, hoping they'll buy their boat. They're calling me every day on my telephone trying to tell me that they want me to have through Medicare and Medicaid what I deserve. I hate that word. That is a word that Satan uses. You deserve this. <laughs> you deserve going on vacation when you don't have about $100 in your bank. Just put it on the card. They'll accept your card. That'll be fine. You can come back $2,500 in debt with no means of paying it off. Now, they're getting something out of it, but in the process, they're destroying you. You see that? You've got to live in such a way to where you cannot be gotten. I remember explicitly my father and my grandfather both told me this, and my grandfather was born in 1880, and they both tried to tell me, you need to be smarter than the general public to keep from getting taken. So always look behind the counter. Don't listen to what people tell you. You can't believe half of that stuff. See if you can find out what's really going on. We've all been taken. And here's where Satan is. He's in ads that say no payment for 12 months with no interest. What are they trying to do? They're trying to sell you something. <laughs> Lawyers. We want to get you what you deserve. You've heard that term. As soon as they say that, I say, oh, I know what I deserve. God told me in first chapter of Romans, I deserve hell because of my sin. But Jesus came and sidetracked that, and I thank him forever for that. They treat you, people treat you as if you are owed something. But in order to keep from getting got, you have got to live in such a way to where you don't feel like you owe anybody anything. They take the guilt from what you know you did that you shouldn't have done and use that to leverage you too and get you into something worse. They play on your victim mentality. Oh, I'm just having it so bad. God said, you're not having it bad. I'll give you anything you need. Just ask me. And you know the ploys they use. The way folks dress, they dress to be able to manipulate you. They talk in such a way. I've known people that went to school that were salesmen that learned in school, in special schools for salesmen, how to look at your face and tell whether you're fixing to buy something or not. 
You don't believe they have control over you? And it's amazing how we're all alike. That same look from one or the other says, you're fixing to buy something. He's fixing to buy something. Just, just mess with him just a little bit more, and he'll write you a check. That's Satan trying to get you in a place to where you can't have boldness and walk around confidently knowing you can serve God today regardless of what happens to you. I remember walking in to Charlie Martin's. You remember him, Ernest. Charlie Martin's business class in high school. I took it in the 11th grade. I walked in the door and on the blackboard was written, if you don't need it, it doesn't matter how cheap it is. <laughs> how many times have we bought something just because it's cheap? Well, did you need it? Well, you know, it was cheap. Something else to clutter up the house. I've never forgotten what Charlie Martin wrote on that blackboard. It don't matter what it costs if you don't need it. I didn't play football for him, so that's one of the smartest things he ever told me. Look back at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Let's read chapter, verse 12 again. I want to stick in your mind. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. That's Satan. Against powers. That's Satan's spirit. Against the rulers of the darkness of this world. There's Satan again, another name for him. Against spiritual wickedness in high places. You don't get any higher in the evil business than Satan himself. So verse 13 says, Wherefore, after I've said all this other, Paul says, listen to this. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, having done everything as a human Christian you can do to stand against Satan, just stand there. Just stand there. That's a hard thing for a lot of us to do. First off, we've got to realize who we're actually fighting. And it's not flesh and blood. It's not people. Satan made that guy like he made Peter say something that didn't need to come out of Peter's mouth. Can you imagine Jesus thinking, how stupid is this guy? And he's been walking with me three years. And he doesn't even understand that what I'm trying to tell him came from God the Father.
for those of you who may not know, it's easy reading, it's short reading, it can teach you so much in a short length of time. And every verse has wisdom in it. It's the book of Proverbs. Especially you guys. I'm a guy, so I see the need for guys who are given the leadership of their families and the leadership of their business sometimes and whatever to have that kind of wisdom. It tells us in Proverbs, don't co-sign. Well, I mean, you know I'm not one that co-signs a note with anybody else, but my youngin needed a car, and they didn't have the money, so I signed for them to be able to make payments on it. Uh-uh, I didn't. Because Solomon said I was crazy to co-sign a note. It don't make no difference even if it's with my family. That book has got all kinds of wisdom in it. And these things that we're falling for that I've been talking about are the very things that they've written about in Proverbs. Don't do it. It'll get you in trouble. Don't do it. And it's everyday things. So please understand Satan has disguised himself as the world and the unsaved people in the world. And they're all out to get you. They think, they don't know they're working for Satan. You go up to an unsaved person, one you know is not born again, and ask them, do they know they're working for the devil? Now you're talking about raising some cane about that. You, you'll get that because they don't know. They don't have a clue. But that's the reason we have got to know that that's who our enemy is. It's not Satan. You won't recognize him because he'll never show himself. But he'll be talking in other people's mouths and he'll be doing things with other people's feet and doing things with other people's hands and doing things with other people's mind to throw us off. And we've got to know the difference. That's the reason I'm saying today this subject is not a subject that preachers like to preach because it puts you against just about everybody you run into. Fathers, our children, are doing things that we don't approve of. And they will stand up and put their hands on the hip and argue with us like you wouldn't believe. And you've got to stand. You're not standing against your daughter or your son. You're standing against Satan. And he's given them the mouth and the idea and the power to stand there and argue about it. And you can't give in. So many places in Scripture it says to watch and pray. Watch and pray. Watch to see. I know about praying, but this thing about watching, I had to learn that. You watch to see what's going on. Is this Satan? Is this God? Is God doing this? Is the devil doing this? Who's behind this? And then when you discover who it is, pray. Lord, what do you want me to do about this right here? And if you watch enough and you pray enough, you'll figure out what's going on. And you can keep yourselves out of the wiles or schemes with the word, the traps 
fourth chapter, or second chapter of Timothy, second Timothy. Keep get yourself out of the traps of the devil. It's so interesting. One of those traps, the people of that day used the term that they used for a trap stick. You know what a trap stick is? When you're going to put a wooden box up there and you're going to put a brick on it and you're going to put a stick under it so when a rabbit walks in there, he'll knock the trip out and the box will fall and catch it. They use that term for that trap stick. That's what Satan does to try to catch you. And their, their word, slang for the word that gets you caught is a trap stick. Pretty simple. But we as Christians have got to work to stay out of those traps. God's trying to help us. He says in the 14th chapter of Romans, God says, I will make you stand. I can make you stand. If you'll ask me to make you stand, I'll see to it that you do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for showing us everyday things that we see every day that we have no clue where they're coming from. And you know. You said Jesus knew the mind of the people. He knew which ones were trying to follow him and which ones were just giving him lip service. Lord, we don't always know that, but You'll show us, and we can learn if we'll ask and try. So, Lord, teach us. Teach us to be your children who have discernment and insights that nobody else has around us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.